Due to the graphic nature of this woman's crimes, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussions of assault and murder that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under the age of 13. When we think of deadly criminals, we usually think of the person who pulls the trigger. But sometimes there's an accomplice off to the side who's just as dangerous in their own way. Their participation often confounds us. Why someone would get wrapped up in a crime they didn't commit? But there's always a reason for their role, whether it's for love or money or revenge. In the case of Edith Klump, it was all three. She was the other woman, engaged in a dangerous love affair that ultimately ended in a murder and landed her on death row. But was she really the one who killed the victim? Or was she the accomplice who took the fall out of love? Picture a murderer, a gangster, a thief. Did you picture a woman? We didn't think so. Society associates men with dangerous crimes. But what happens when the perpetrator is female? Every Wednesday, we examine the psychology, motivations, and atrocities of female criminals. Hi, I'm Vanessa Richardson, and you're listening to Female Criminals, a Spotify original from Parcast. You can find episodes of Female Criminals and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. This week, we'll meet Edith Klump, a Cincinnati housewife who got caught up in a love triangle that left one woman dead. Next week, we'll delve into Edith's arrest and why she initially pled guilty until the threat of the electric chair finally made her reveal the truth. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. In 1918, the influenza pandemic raged through the city of Cincinnati, Ohio. But in the middle of all the panic, on January 15th, Harry and Fan Reese welcomed a daughter into the world. 
They smiled down on her mousy brown hair and chubby cheeks and decided to name her Edith. We only know the basics about Edith's young childhood. She had a stable family life, living in the same house until she was nearly an adult. At school, she was smart, sociable, and athletic, and had many friends. During her senior year of high school, her parents moved to a new part of town and a new school district. Edith panicked. She was attached to her social circle. She definitely didn't want to start fresh at a new school. Luckily, one of Edith's friends was willing to let Edith move in with their family, so she bid her own mom and dad goodbye and took up lodgings with her classmate instead. Despite how it might seem, Edith didn't have a bad relationship with her parents. In fact, she admired her dad and shared his love of sports. He'd been a baseball player for the St. Louis Cardinals as a young man. After she graduated high school in 1936, 18-year-old Edith got a job as an assistant gym teacher. She thought she'd work her way up to lead instructor, but an unexpected love derailed her plans. She met George Montgomery shortly after she began teaching. They were engaged soon after meeting, and the next few months went by in a blur. By the end of 1936, they were married. It was a busy year for Edith, but things weren't about to slow down. Soon after the wedding, she became pregnant. When she found out, she quit her job and devoted herself to being a full-time mother. In 1938, 20-year-old Edith had her first son, Jack. Edith loved little Jack. But unfortunately, her marriage wasn't as blissful. We don't know exactly what happened, but in 1940, after four years together, Edith and George got divorced. Edith retained custody of Jack, but on the flip side, George didn't have to pay any child support. Now, as a single mother, Edith worried about making ends meet. Luckily, that same year, 22-year-old Edith met her next husband, Robert Klump. After getting married, Edith and Robert had four children together, two boys and two girls. The Klumps were extremely devoted parents, and this extended to other children outside their family. When World War II broke out, Edith and Robert fostered displaced orphans. At one point, they had as many as 15 kids in their care. When the war was over, Edith and Robert decided to put the focus back on their original family and built a new home for themselves. They found a plot of land on Bloomingdale Avenue and got to work. Robert did most of the manual labor, while Edith spearheaded the design. But it wasn't a cheap project. They had to borrow money from Edith's mom and take out loans from several banks. Ultimately, they finished the house, but building it had depleted their savings. Now, they couldn't make their mortgage payments. So in 1952, they left behind their custom home and moved to a new, less expensive place in the Mount Washington neighborhood. But the move spelled doom for the marriage. Before, Edith and Robert had been on the same page. Now, they were at odds. They were in a great deal of debt, and the pressure weighed on them. And Edith, who had grown accustomed to being a stay-at-home mom, now had to return to work. 
Before we continue with Edith's psychology, I'm not a licensed psychiatrist or psychologist, but I have done a lot of research for the show. According to researcher Jeffrey Dew, debt can breed resentment within a relationship. First, it causes a couple to fight and avoid each other. Then they can start to feel that there's an inequity with how they handle money. Sometimes this is justified. One partner may be much worse at managing the finances than the other, but other times it's simply a perceived difference. Either way, this difference ends up causing a rift between the couple. And Dew's research found that all of these things add up to make debt one of the strongest predictors of divorce. Edith hadn't said the D word out loud yet, but there was a good chance she was thinking about it in the back of her mind. She did all the things a good wife was supposed to do, like focusing on her children, making the meals, and attending church every Sunday. But she also had to return to work for the first time since she was a teenager, and she resented being put in that position. Still, Edith dove into the job search. She found a position as a retail sales associate, but being around all those nice clothes was too tempting for Edith. When new shipments came in, she'd sneak away a couple of blouses from the orders and send them to herself without paying. Of course, when her superiors caught her, they immediately fired her. Next, Edith tried clerking for the state highway patrol, but she had a hard time fitting in. While some of her co-workers saw her as a hard-working mom trying to make ends meet, others had a different view entirely. They apparently thought she was a superficial, frivolous woman who only cared about herself and was willing to do whatever it took to get ahead. Eventually, Edith was fired from that post as well. There was just too much friction between her and the other employees. But finally, Edith found one job that stuck teaching sewing. Not only was she talented with a needle and thread, but her students loved her. Many of them came back time and time again to enroll in her courses. She was so in demand that, at one point, she taught a class every night of the week at various schools across the city. But teaching night classes wasn't pulling in enough cash. So in September 1954, she got a second job. 36-year-old Edith started waitressing at the local airport's restaurant. There, she met a woman named Vicky. Vicky was part of the cadet program at Lunkin Airport. She often came into the restaurant after her training, and she and Edith struck up a friendship. Vicky opened Edith's eyes to a different way of life. She was a single woman who valued good times and putting herself first. She'd come in talking about the latest dance she'd attended or the man she went home with afterward. It made Edith long for the single life she'd never had. Edith had always wondered what it might be like to experience such a life, but she repressed those fantasies to be the good housewife she knew she was supposed to be. But Vicky freed her mind. Edith went out with her at night and danced with men who weren't her husband. She fussed over her appearance. She lost weight and dyed her hair blonde, anything to be more desirable. And that paid off. Men looked at Edith differently then. She was no longer the dumpy housewife with mousy brown hair. She was someone who men wanted. And she loved that attention. 
One of the first men to appreciate the new Edith was a state highway patrolman, and before she knew what she was doing, the two were engaged in a heated affair. The officer would pick her up after her sewing classes, and they'd stay out all night. Edith reveled in the excitement of it all. Even sneaking back into her house each night gave her a thrill. But it didn't take long for Robert to catch on. When he learned what was really going on, he was furious, and he expressly forbade Edith from continuing the affair. But by then, she was done listening to her husband. From here on out, she was going to do whatever she wanted. When she got tired of the patrolman, she moved on to a new affair. In 1955, 37-year-old Edith started dating Fred Haste, a married mechanic nine years her junior. At first, they shared lunches together, but that soon escalated to dances and later private dates in the park. For Fred, it was just a casual fling. For Edith, it was something much more. She played it coy, but often joked about them getting married, as if she were feeling out the possibility. The two dated in secret for over a year, but when Fred's wife Sylvia found out, she called Edith up and told her exactly what she thought of her. Fred was a married man with children. But Edith wasn't scared of another housewife. She told Sylvia that it was her own fault that Fred was cheating. Maybe if she had been a better wife to him, it wouldn't have happened. And if Sylvia divorced Fred, Edith would be right there waiting to marry him. Then she hung up the phone. In the end, the threat didn't matter. Fred didn't get divorced, and Edith moved on to other men. But she couldn't keep them all secret for long. Eventually, Robert's worst suspicions were realized when he caught Edith cheating on him. He had tried to reason away his wife's indiscretions, but now that he'd actually seen her in the act, he confronted her, demanding she stop once and for all. Edith was furious. He was the one who'd killed their marriage, not her. She grabbed a milk bottle and threw it at him. The glass shattered upon impact and cut his arm. Robert called out in pain and then grabbed his wife and told her to never hit him again. When he finally released his grip, Edith lashed out and punched him in the face, hard enough to make his chin bleed. Edith backed off then, her anger subsiding, but Robert had finally seen his wife's true colors, and they scared him. Robert decided then and there the marriage was over. In his eyes, she'd been lying to him about her true nature for years, and she was so good at it, there was simply no way to trust anything she said ever again. While it was Robert's decision to end the marriage, Edith was the one who finalized it. In 1956, 38-year-old Edith filed for divorce. A year later, their 17-year-old marriage was over. Part of their settlement involved selling their house, but Edith didn't want to. It was her home and she had no intention of giving it up. So she got a little creative. As required, she listed the house, but she made the real estate agent price it much higher than what it was currently worth. 
The agent agreed on the condition that Edith made some improvements to justify the price tag. Until those things were done, the agent would wait to advertise or show the house. But then, Edith never did any of the renovations, so the house just sat there. Edith still had to move to an apartment, but no one else could have her home either. Around this time, in March 1958, 40-year-old Edith was covering a Sunday afternoon shift at the restaurant when 30-year-old Bill Bergen walked in. Edith sat Bill and his friends at a table and took everyone's orders. Bill was immediately attracted to her, but Edith didn't really notice. The second time Bill came in, however, she definitely noticed him. He made sure of it. He went out of his way to talk to her over the bar, just the two of them, and asked if he could give her a call. She looked the man over. He was handsome and seemed like a good time. So she smiled and with a coy look on her face said, sure. Little did she know that answer would change her life forever. Up next, Edith gets swept up in a dangerous love triangle. Wayne Simmons spent 27 years undercover for the CIA. When he retired from spy work, he got a big break. Terrorism analyst on Fox News. Then he met Kent Clisby. So I'm a real CIA guy. This is total nonsense. I'm Alex French, and I'm here to figure out who's telling the truth. Was Wayne Simmons a spy, or was he nothing but a con man? Imposters is a Spotify original from Parcast. Follow and listen exclusively on Spotify. Now back to the story. Forty-year-old Edith Klump was not a woman to turn down any sort of attention. So when 30-year-old Bill Bergen asked if he could call her, Edith said yes. He didn't wait long to take her up on that. The very next day, he rang her at work. He was impatient. He wanted to see her that night. But Edith wasn't that easy of a catch. She already had a date for that evening. Of course, she didn't want to play too hard to get either. So she told him to call her at home once she got in that evening. She'd be back by 10.30. Sure enough, at 10.30 that night, Bill called. He asked if he could come over, and Edith agreed. He hurried to her place, but despite the urgency, the two just sat on the couch, watched TV together, and talked. Edith found out a bit more about this mysterious man in her living room. He had his pilot's license, he was 10 years her junior, and he had a daughter. That wasn't necessarily a red flag. Still, she asked about the girl's mother. Bill confessed that he was technically still married, but that he was getting a divorce. The way he said it made Edith assume the papers had already been filed, and he was just waiting for it to be official. That was all Edith needed to hear. As their relationship got underway, things became serious fast. Their first date was at a drive-in movie theater. Two weeks later, Edith and Bill had sex for the first time. To Edith, it seemed like things were progressing wonderfully. But unbeknownst to Edith, Bill was very much a married man. He was still living at home. After each date, he would slink back to his apartment where he lived with his wife, Louise, and his daughter, Linda. 
and Edith had no idea. But even though Bill and Louise weren't officially separated, they were thinking about divorce. Most of their problems seemed to stem from the fact that Bill liked to go out a lot, but he didn't enjoy going out with his wife. That led to a lot of tension and very little intimacy. Both Bill and Louise were thinking about separating by the time Edith entered the picture, but now Bill had incentive to leave his marriage. Here was an older, enchanting, fun woman who he could hang all his hopes and dreams on. Meanwhile, Louise saw her husband leaving the house night after night. Finally, she confronted him about it. She asked if he wanted to leave her and be with Edith. Bill thought about it for a week or two and then chose his girlfriend. But instead of telling Louise face to face he was leaving, one night he just packed up all his things and walked out the door. Not long after Bill moved out, Louise called Edith and asked to meet with her. Edith was hesitant. She'd only met Louise once in passing a few weeks earlier, and she didn't know what the other woman would have to say to her. Edith asked if Bill should join them, but Louise wanted to speak to her directly. So Edith reluctantly agreed. Louise began on a friendly note, keeping it light, but eventually she worked her way up to the real reason she was there. She wasn't ready to let go of Bill. She was having second thoughts now. Maybe she should have tried harder to keep her husband. Maybe she needed to fight for him now. Edith was shocked, to say the least. The way she understood it, Bill and Louise had been over for months now. He'd lied to her, no divorce papers had been filed, and he had only just stopped living with his wife. Edith kept a calm and collected demeanor, but inside she was furious and worried. When Bill left his wife, he hadn't moved in with Edith. Instead, he'd gotten his own place, which made Edith wonder how committed he was to their relationship. She needed to do something to get Bill's attention. So, 40-year-old Edith told Bill that she was pregnant, even though she most certainly was not. Bill didn't know Edith's true colors, though, and he had no reason to doubt her. So the news made him do exactly as Edith had hoped. He fully committed. He started spending all his time with her, practically moving into her apartment. They went on day trips with other couples, grew closer, and even started talking about houses they liked and wanted to buy. A few weeks later, after Edith convinced herself that Bill would stay with her no matter what, she gave up the pregnancy ruse before she could be found out. She told him that she had a miscarriage. At first, Bill stayed with Edith, like she assumed he would, but without the pull of a new baby on the way, he started to second-guess his decision. Eventually, he told Edith that he wanted to take some time away from everything to think things through. That meant away from both her and Louise. Bill had a business trip already scheduled. It was the perfect opportunity for him to take some space. Edith drove him to the airport, pretended to be the supportive girlfriend. Under the surface, frustration simmered. She hoped that the time apart would only make Bill miss her, but she worried he might decide to go back to his wife. 
Her fears turned out to be unfounded. Bill called Edith every night, and by the time he returned a week later, he was proclaiming his undying devotion to her. He no longer had any doubts. On June 12, 1958, after only three months of knowing each other, Bill proposed, even though he was still technically married to Louise. He wanted to exchange vows and be married in spirit. Then, once his divorce was finalized, they could make it official. But he just didn't want to wait any longer. Edith agreed to this strange proposal, and the two set a date for the very next day. As planned, Bill picked Edith up from her work the following afternoon. Their first stop was to get a ring. Edith chose the one she wanted, and then Bill whisked her off to dinner and a show. Then they made their way up to the park, where they had hatched this plan from the start. There, they said their vows to each other without any witnesses, and he slid the ring onto her finger. As far as they were both concerned, it was as good as getting married for real. After that, 40-year-old Edith and 30-year-old Bill lived together as though they were married. For a couple of months, they enjoyed being newlyweds and daydreaming about buying a house together. They even spent their honeymoon at an Indiana resort. But once they returned from their blissful excursion, reality set back in. There were mouths to feed and bills to pay, but because they were only married in spirit, their finances weren't yet combined. Edith covered all of their expenses, while Bill saved for the house they planned on buying. Edith pretended that she wasn't under any financial stress, but in reality, she was barely scraping by. Even though she was working two jobs, waiting tables and teaching sewing classes, she was still struggling. Often she had to use her tip money to pay for dinners for the family. There were no savings on her end. She was getting by paycheck to paycheck. Of course, she didn't talk about any of this with Bill, and she never asked for him to contribute more. Edith's reticence to talk about money woes is fairly common. According to financial writer Chris Sonzoni, money is one of the most uncomfortable and invasive topics to discuss. Money is personal, but losing money is very personal. How we earn and spend our money is wrapped up in pride, ego, and often shame. And perhaps because of this, some turn to hiding their transactions, a practice known as financial infidelity, from the people they're closest to. It's likely that Edith also didn't want to seem too needy. Bill was still ambivalent about which woman he really wanted to be with, and Edith didn't want to give him an excuse to go running back to Louise. But it was Louise herself who would finally inspire Bill to make up his mind. She officially filed for divorce which only made Bill want her more. He was a fickle man. The second Louise decided she no longer wanted Bill, he suddenly had to have her. Bill started to talk to Louise about the possibility of reconciliation, even though he was now living with Edith and promising her that they would get married. Edith knew that Bill was sneaking out on her. She recognized all the signs. After all, she had done the same things in her previous marriage. And so, she confronted him. She asked if it was all still about Louise, or if there was another woman involved. 
Bill assured her it was just Louise, although that didn't necessarily make Edith feel better. Edith thought about what she could do to win Bill over once and for all. After debating her options, she decided to go with the same ruse she had used in the past. She told Bill she was pregnant. Sure enough, Bill believed her. He didn't think twice about the suspicious timing or how this was now becoming a pattern. He had no idea just how calculating Edith actually was. But perhaps there was some gut instinct that told him to keep Edith at a distance, even if he couldn't put a name to it. He told her that he was committed to her and the baby, but secretly he was still torn between the two women in his life. Edith was beyond frustrated. If the pregnancy ploy didn't make Bill settle down with her, she didn't know what she could possibly do. There needed to be a resolution, and it needed to happen now. Otherwise, someone was going to end up seriously hurt, and she wasn't going to let that be her. Coming up, tensions escalate, and one member of the love triangle ends up dead. Now, back to the story. In October of 1958, 40-year-old Edith Klump was trying to keep 30-year-old Bill Bergen interested in her by any means necessary. But even after she concocted a fake pregnancy, Bill still considered returning to his wife. Edith knew she'd have to do something even more drastic to keep his attention, but she had no idea what that might be. But by the middle of October, Edith's problems seemed like they might solve themselves. Despite Bill's attempts to reconcile with his wife, Louise had decided that she truly wanted a divorce. Her lawyers sent Bill the papers, but he refused to accept them. He begged Louise for more time and a chance to think about things. That wasn't the reaction Edith had hoped for. She started to think that Bill was a lost cause. He was never going to get over his wife, and perhaps it was time Edith moved on. But then Bill, perhaps realizing that he was losing both of them, changed tactics. He doubled down with Edith, trying to persuade her to stay. He got sweet again, doted on her, and reminded her that they had a baby on the way. He was going to be a devoted father, a loving husband. He made all sorts of promises. Edith wasn't entirely convinced, but in the end, she wanted to believe him, and he knew how to persuade her. He used her children. He pointed out that they were all attached to the newly established family unit, and surely she wouldn't want to break that up over nothing. According to social psychology professor Madeleine Fougere, investments between a couple, such as children or a home, can be a major reason for someone to stay in an unhappy relationship. Like the theory of momentum, it's simply easier to stay once you're in one, rather than to stop and exit. Bill had become involved in every aspect of Edith's life, and it was difficult to untangle. Her kids were attached to him, she needed his finances for their future plans, and, for better or worse, she loved him. So, rather than separate, she agreed to see how things went through the holidays, if only for the sake of all the children involved. 
There may have been one other reason Edith had for keeping Bill around. The house she had once shared with her ex-husband was still pending a sale. Instead of selling it, she wanted to buy Robert Klump out of his $6,000 share. Despite their rather contentious divorce, Edith reached out to her ex and played nice. Robert knew that she had an ulterior motive. She wanted to negotiate a lower price for his share. Luckily for Edith, her ex-husband was tired of all the back and forth and just wanted things settled once and for all. So he agreed to $4,000, the equivalent of over $36,000 in 2021. Edith got Bill on board with this plan. He thought it was a great idea to pay off Robert Klump instead of selling the house. They could live there instead of buying a new place, which would have been infinitely more expensive. Bill suggested they borrow money right away to make the deal. Of course, Edith couldn't get such a big loan from the bank on her own, so Bill agreed to sign his name on the paperwork. They applied for a $9,000 loan from Fidelity Savings and Loan Company, about $81,000 in 2021. They planned to pay Robert his $4,000 and then use the remaining $5,000 to pay off the existing mortgage. Strangely, when they signed on the dotted line, Edith didn't use her legal name. She went by Edith Bergen instead. Later, she would claim this was all Bill's idea, that he thought it was just a formality that would soon be true anyway. They were going to get married, and she really would be Edith Bergen in a matter of months. The other possibility, however, was that Edith was once again manipulating things to get her way. Maybe she planted the idea in Bill's head, so he thought it was his suggestion. It was clear that Edith was willing to go to great lengths to keep Bill at her side. So it stood to reason that this might be another way to irrevocably tie them together. Maybe tying them together on the house like that would be a way to ensure they really did get married. But no matter whose idea it was initially, it worked. On the morning of October 30th, Edith got a call from the bank saying that the loan had been approved. From this point forward, there are three different versions of events. There's Bill's story, Louise's story, and Edith's story. We're going to go with Edith's account, but take it all with a grain of salt for now. After getting that call from the bank, Edith went about the rest of her day as normal, but that evening, just before 5 p.m., Louise called and asked Edith to meet her. She said it was urgent and important. Edith invited Bill to join them. If there was anything left for him to say to Louise, they could get it all out at once. Bill agreed. He offered to pick Louise up and told Edith to meet them at the movie theater parking lot. So Edith hopped in her car, but despite Louise's urgent plea, Edith didn't seem to be in any hurry. As she headed in their direction, she stopped first for gas and then for some groceries. Finally, around 5.45 p.m., she met up with Bill and Louise. The two got out of Bill's car and hopped into Edith's, Louise in the passenger seat, Bill in the back. But the mood shifted as soon as they shut the doors. They began to fight with each other about money, and it was getting heated. The fighting escalated as Edith drove. At one point, Bill got so mad that he reached forward and slapped Louise. 
Absolutely furious, she raged to Edith that Bill was a serial cheater who couldn't be trusted. Edith wasn't sure where to go. She was just driving to do something, but she was getting increasingly uncomfortable, and she wanted to find a gas station so she could use a bathroom. Bill told Edith not to bother. She should just pull over on the side of the road. They were back behind a new subdivision with no one around. Not wanting to fight with him, Edith did as she was told. Edith got out of the car and walked a bit away so that she could relieve herself. But from where she stood, she could still see Bill and Louise in the car. She watched as Louise leaned down to open the glove compartment, obviously looking for something like a tissue. But then, when she sat back up, Louise held a gun in her hands. Edith had the sudden and terrible realization that Bill must have left his handgun in the car, even though she always told him to put it back in its case at home. And now she watched in horror as he reached over to Louise and grabbed her wrist. The two tussled over the firearm, and the fighting knocked Louise off balance. Suddenly, the gun was pointed up under her chin, and then it went off. Edith ran back to the car to see what had happened. Bill was crouched over the passenger seat, blocking her view. She craned her neck to get a better view until finally she saw what he was shielding from her, Louise's bloody body. Whatever had just happened, no matter who had actually pulled the trigger, it wasn't going to look good for her and Bill. They had to take care of this. They had to find a way out. As all of those thoughts swirled in Edith's mind, it became too much for her to handle. She started to feel dizzy, and then everything went dark. When she came to a few minutes later, Bill already had a plan all figured out, a way for them to move past this horrible accident. He just needed Edith to do one thing for him. She had to take the fall for Louise's murder. Thanks again for tuning in to Female Criminals. We'll be back next week with part two. We'll see how Edith and Bill scramble in the aftermath of Louise's murder and why Edith decides to shoulder the blame. For more information on Edith Klump, amongst the many sources we used, we found Cincinnati's Savage Seamstress by Richard O. Jones, extremely helpful to our research. You can find all episodes of Female Criminals and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. We'll see you next time. Female Criminals is a Spotify original from Parcast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler, sound design by Dick Schroeder, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Bruce Katovich. This episode of Female Criminals was written by Alex Burns, with writing assistance by Abigail Cannon, fact-checking by Haley Milliken, and research by Mickey Taylor. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Vanessa Richardson